0: And your love for others would be seen and heard. Well, uh, I'm in front of my front door this morning. Uh, We'll be in Matthew 25 this morning, and uh, there is a door in this scene. And I just pray that uh, this image. Um, would would be stuck in your brains, and so let it let it be that this May third, you always remember Matthew twenty four and twenty five uh, when you heard uh, a man preach it in front of his front door. Uh, so let's go ahead and start off with a little review. Last week um, we started our new series, uh, Christ and the Coronavirus, and. Um, uh, and so here's how we're going to do it. There's five questions. Uh, the last question, the last question, someone gets a prize. Um, and how we'll do it is, I'll just pitch it out here, and then you, the first one to comment on Facebook, will will uh, will win. So here we go. Here is the first question. Last week we started off with an illustration. Get your fingers ready, guys. Okay. Someone move towards the computer screen in your house. We started off with an illustration with an engagement ring and a black cloth, right? A guy wanted to get engaged, so he went to the mall and he bought a ring and the first thing that the jeweler did was he laid out a black cloth. Why does the jeweler do that? All right, we're going to wait. Why does the jeweler do that? That's the question. And I'm going to just wait right here and see who gets a Gets the first post going. The question, why does the jeweler lay out the black cloth? I don't see any comments yet. I see a jessa plant who said good morning. I see that the Lindholms, the constables are in. Waiting for a first comment to pop up. All right. And it was my dad. (laughs) All right. Steve Newman says to magnify the beauty of the diamond. Now, was that mom or dad? What do you think? I bet you. We'll just say they're one. Okay. We got a couple other chime in. But hey, the first question goes to my dad. Well done, dad. Uh, Second question. Here we go. Um, Who said it? Who said it? God has dealt bitterly with me. God has dealt bitterly with me. This was from last week. Old Testament character, not Jeremiah. Naomi, says the Hartzels. Way to go, Caroline. Good job. Yeah, so we really, last week we dove into... Why, does, uh, why is God bringing about hardship? And we talked about the doctrine of suffering. And, and um, it was the reality that Naomi Naomi didn't sin. She wasn't complaining. She was just acknowledging the fact that, that what was going on in her life, God was working. God was being faithful. But it was tough. It was tough. So well done, Hartzels. Okay, next up. Here we go. Who said it? God gives. And he takes away. Who said it? God gives, God takes away. Who's got the fastest internet? Who's got the fastest time? Job. Victory to the Lindholms. Well done. Michael Franks, you're coming really close, I promise. I promise, but it was the Holmes who popped up in my comments first. Nice job. Okay. All right. Who said it? Here we go. What you meant for evil, God meant for good. Go. What you meant for evil, God meant for good. Who had it? Who said it? Waiting for those comments. And the Lindholms again, victory, Joseph. Oh, the Ratliffs came in a close second, well done. And then the Franks, (laughs) sorry Franks, this is a tough morning, it's a tough morning. Um, so, So last week, really the conclusion was that God is sovereign and he's good, he's in control and he is working all things to his completion. I said there'd be five questions, okay, here we go. Um, this one is a special one. This is a, um, do you know your pastor? So who said it? Winning isn't everything. It's the only thing. Winning isn't everything. It's the only thing. Now That doesn't have to do anything with the sermon, but it's a, <laughs> it's a nice quote. I see the Allens, they say, we're changing our internet. Ah, the Newmans. Steve Newman won the victory. Here's the surprise. It is Vince Lombardi who said that. That's not like a Christian quote or anything. But um, dad, um, you are going to get a delivery from this guy. I'm going to socially distance myself. But I am gonna make a batch of cookies, and I'm gonna bring it on over with this. Congratulations, you got the Vince Lombardi quote. Grant Mathias says Mike Newman said that. That is, um, that's worthy of maybe a cookie or five. So <laughs> well done, Matthew Leeper, Vince the dog. Okay, <laughs> that's funny. Good stuff. All right, well let's let's um, let's get going here. Um, really, friends, this this is. This is a. Um, these are significant times, tumultuous times for sure. And there's been few times in history where the globe, the world, has has shut down, and where all people, all nations, um, are starting to ask those age-old questions of who God is and how He works, what is His character like, His ways, His plans. And so we are asking for the next few weeks. What is God doing through COVID-19? What's he doing uh, through the coronavirus? And the, the answer, the title today uh, is Awakening. Okay, the answer is Awakening. So if you're taking notes, and I encourage you to do so, uh, God is, is causing an awakening. Um, in the book that we're reading together as a church um, uh, called The Coronavirus in Christ, uh, the question provided... For the end is, is what is God doing? And the answer is uh, God is giving a wake up call to be ready for the second coming. God's giving a wake up call to be ready for the second coming. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to uh, with me to Matthew 24. Matthew 24, verse 7. I'm going to just show you a couple of scriptures before we hop into um, a story, a parable today, okay? In my Bible, um, the heading above chapter 24 says the end of the age. Um, The the headings aren't inspired, but that sure does catch your attention, okay? And so Matthew 24, verse 7, let your eyes go on down there. It says this, for the nation will rise against nation kingdom against kingdom and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places okay so jesus is talking about the end of the age and he says that he is going to use natural disasters and and national hardships like famines and things like that as birth pains to show people that the end of the age is near and that he's coming look at verse 8 with me it says all these are but the beginning of the birth pains so god is 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 coming he's using things like this as a sign and he is going to make something new he's bringing about something new let your eyes go all the way down to verse 44 in chapter 24 it says therefore you also must be ready for the son of man is coming at an hour you do not expect The Son of Man is coming, and he's coming at an hour that you do not expect. Okay, so let's just be straight with each other. I don't know if the coronavirus is, for sure, is a sign of the coming age. It's true that the world has never seen anything like this uh, 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 to affect the globe in such a way, this global pandemic. It is true, uh, though. And we can like put put a stamp on this. This is 100%. We know this to be true, that Jesus is coming back. There's a lot of speculation about COVID-19, but we can say with confidence that Jesus is coming back. He will return. And uh, Jesus tells us a story about how to be ready in chapter 25. So if Jesus is coming back, um, How am I supposed to prepare myself for his return? Here's a story. Would you meet me in chapter 25? Let's find out. This is a parable, and a parable is just like a a hidden story or a hidden meaning. And uh, those who have ears to hear and eyes to see understand it. And I pray that we'll be able to catch it today. Here we go. Verse 1, chapter 25. Then the kingdom of heaven. Will be like 10 virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Okay, so. Out in this parable, okay? So, with a wedding, there's always a bride. Jesus doesn't mention the bride. So, friends, don't worry about the bride, okay? We've got virgins, which are basically bridesmaids in a wedding, and I'll just spell it out right for you, right away, the virgins are you, okay? So you are the bridesmaid in this story. And so as you hear the story and listen and and search for understanding, seek well and know that, that you are the bridesmaid and you're either on one side or the other, and you'll find that out later, okay? And then we got a bridegroom, which is Jesus, okay? Those are the characters. And uh, just a little historical context, uh, same as today, way back then, to be a bridesmaid was a great honor. People just love being bridesmaids. And in the traditional Palestine villages, the role of the bridesmaid was significant at the wedding feast, okay? So all during the day, these people would feast and celebrate. It was a super happiest, joyful occasion. And uh, when it came time for the nighttime. Uh, the brides had lamps and their whole role was they were supposed to escort the bride. And um, um, let me back up a step. They were supposed to escort um, back to the bride and they would turn, in turn, escort the groom to his home. OK, so they would take the bride and they would take the groom. Um, they would come to a house and then they would deliver both of them on back to the bride's house. Okay. This is why at nighttime, each bridesmaid was given a lamp. It's really their whole job just to be prepared to lead the processional no matter the hour. Okay. Everyone got that? Is that clear? And in verse two, we find out um, just a little bit more about these bridesmaids. Let your eyes go there. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. Let's find out why. Verse 3. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. Notice verse 5. Goes on to say that all ten of the bridesmaids slept when the bridegroom delayed. So we know right off the bat that sleeping wasn't the error uh, in this parable. You see it? Look at verse 5. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. So all 10 of them slept. That was fine. Okay. What was the error, though? Look at verse 4 again. It's clear that the wise brought oil for their lamps in order to be ready to wait for the bridegroom. They were ready and prepared. The error Was it the five unwise? They were called unwise because they didn't bring oil. They weren't prepared. They weren't ready. Okay. So just again, Jesus is talking about the end of the age when he comes and how to live in light of it. And There's a pattern here in in time. Let's just look at a few verses so we can understand what Jesus is saying and what he's doing in this passage. Okay. Uh, In this parable, the groom is delayed. Uh, Look at verse 5 with me. uh, As the bridegroom was delayed. Okay? The very next parable that Jesus talks about, he talks about a master. And the master takes a long time to return. Look at verse 19. We're just gauging time here. Okay? Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. Okay? Okay? Now, if you look in the parable prior to the ten virgin parable, in chapter 24, um, it says that the master of the house came early, okay? So Jesus puts parables back to back to back, and he mentions time in each of them, all to say that no one knows the time, okay? That's why he says in verse 13, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Okay, so the point of this parable is not to figure out the precise details of the timing of Jesus's return. Rather, it's to trust the groom that he will be back. And we are supposed to live in light of his return. We're supposed to be ready and prepared for him to come back. Verse six. Chapter 25. But at midnight there was a cry. Here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. And then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil for our lamps are going out. So let's just pause here. So far, all the bridesmaids fell asleep, which was fine. Okay. All the bridesmaids trimmed their lamps, which was really normal to do. To trim your lamp was just just meaning to remove the burned portion of the wicks so that they could light them again. All fell asleep, all trimmed their lamps. The only distinguishing thing about these bridesmaids was that five brought oil and five didn't. The five that didn't were called unwise. Look at verse nine. But the wise answered, saying, since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. Friends, this is where parables can be a little tricky. Like my my immediate reaction to the five wise that sent the five unwise off to go buy things for themselves is like, that's not right. Like, shouldn't they share their oil and If I'm going to apply that immediately to my life, does that mean that uh, I shouldn't share the gospel with anyone, but I should just like hold it tightly to my chest and and not talk about anything? You see how like parables can get a little tricky and interpretations can get a little wonky if you're not careful. Um, Here's what I think it means when the five wise sent the five unwise away to buy for themselves. Ready? Um, You can't get to heaven based off of someone else's trust in Christ, okay? You can't know God indirectly. Like, oh yeah, yeah, he's a friend of a friend, right? So the salvation of one person cannot be transferred like oil to another person. We've said it before, time and time again, that God has no grandchildren. He only has sons and daughters. So the purpose of this parable is readiness. Everyone must respond to the bridegroom, Jesus Christ, with his announcement that he's coming back. Everyone must respond individually. You must receive him. You must believe in him. And we'll see that in the next verse. Let your eyes go to verse 10. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went with him to the marriage feast and the door was shut. That's why I'm preaching in front of a door this morning. Verse 11. Afterward, the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, truly I say to you, I don't know you. By the time the unprepared bridesmaids returned with their extra oil. The procession had already arrived at the groom's home and gone inside it was done. Friends, at a real wedding, uh, probably what would have happened during that time, would they, they would have been publicly shamed and they probably would have been let in, right? But this is a parable and Jesus is teaching it Because there's spiritual lessons in it to be learned. And just to speak to you, friends, family, my church, whether or not you believe that COVID 19 is a sign of the end of the age, here are five lessons to learn from this parable that are true. Are you ready? Here's number one Once Jesus returns, it will be too late to repent. And believe in him. I'll say it again. Once Jesus returns, it will be too late to repent and believe in him. The door of heaven will be shut, and there will not be another chance to come to him, to trust him, to believe in him. He looks at those who are late in this parable and says, I do not know you. This is just mere image of Matthew 7, just a few chapters earlier. It says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So the basic question that, that needs to be answered this morning is, How do I know God? And if you're if you're watching this morning, if you don't know him, please. Tune in to the next moments so that you know how to become a Christian, how to know God personally, okay? Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death. If you ever had a job, you know what a wage is. It's something that you earn, right? You work for it, and then you get what you deserve. And the Bible says that you get death because you deserve it. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And death means that you are separated from God forever. That's the bad news of the gospel. But you got to have the bad news before you get the good. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God. Now, Opening presents at Christmas is an awesome time. No one opens a gift and says, oh, thanks, mom and dad. I deserve this, right? If, it, if you deserved it, it wouldn't be a gift, right? That's in theological terms, you would say, I merited this gift. But the free gift of God is not something that you merit or you earn. God gives the gift. And the verse says, the gift of God is eternal life. An eternal life is knowing God forever, to be with him and enjoy him for this life and the next. The gift of God is eternal life. And there's one way to receive the gift. The rest of the verse says, in Jesus Christ, our Lord. It's very exclusive. It's a narrow path. It's not tolerant in any way. Jesus says in John fourteen six, I am the way the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Friends, how you know God is this. You must repent of your sin and place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ to save you from your sins, to grant you forgiveness, and to give you eternal life. Would you do it today before it's too late? Number two. When Jesus comes back, those who will feast with him will be those who followed him till his coming. I'll read it again. When Jesus comes back, those who feast with him, those who eat with him, will be those who followed him till his coming. The shorter way to say it is follow him. Okay. Um, Let's just reword it um, by way of imagery. Okay. Okay. Imagine three, four hours prior to the door being shut. Okay. It's it's prior to evening and all these bridesmaids are together and they're smiling with one another. I'm sure they're helping each other with their hair. They're probably putting flowers in their hair together. They're enjoying food. They're dancing. They're talking about the flavor of the wine. They're talking about the weather, right? It's a joyous occasion. They're Everyone's doing great. Everyone's happy. Weddings are happy. This is where it gets real. I'm sure each of the bridesmaids responded positively to the invitation to be a bridesmaid. Do you want to be a bridesmaid? Sure. That'd be awesome. I love being at weddings, right? Like that sounds like a great way to spend my day like music and food and friends, and social activities. Yes, I would love to be a bridesmaid and be a part of the of, of the wedding party. No doubt, each of these bridesmaids would have said that they're a part of the bridal party. But it's clear that Jesus is teaching that the kingdom of heaven is not for those who simply respond to an invitation. All of these bridesmaids had done that, so to speak. So similarly, the kingdom of God is not for those who just make a confession so that they have fire insurance when they die. I'm sure that even the bridesmaids uh, spoke well of the groom in this passage, Perhaps they even sang songs or even expressed some positive elements or affections about, about the groom. Like, oh, isn't he a great guy? and Oh, this is a great wedding. These are just very general positive statements. But you need to know today that that is not enough on the last day when Jesus returns. He will say to you, I don't know you. Suddenly, this is not just some cute little story about ten virgins that make a, that will make a great spiritual song one day for a high school and collegiate choral singing. <laughs> this is really serious. Just last year, I got a phone call from a friend that said, hey, did you know so-and-so that, that we went to seminary with? did you know that he became a Christian a couple months ago? And I was like, what? Was like, yeah, so-and-so became a Christian. I was like, I mean, didn't we like sit in class with him? And didn't we study Greek and Hebrew together? And we we're taking preaching classes together and we were studying the gospel together. What do you mean he wasn't a Christian? And my friend just said, yeah, he didn't know the Lord. And up- upon further like examination, it's like, what what was going on in his mind and his heart? He was he was a part of the bridal party. He was he was saying he was on the team, he was practicing and going through the motions, he was saying all the right things. But our friend in seminary didn't know Jesus. And praise God that he recently repented of his sins and placed his faith and trust in him. It's just a clear illustration. Of what is happening here in this passage. Some people will think. Like followers of Jesus. They may have responded to an invitation a long time ago. Maybe they, they confessed or expressed some affection. Towards this person named Jesus. But they're not enduring to the end. This is prevalent in our day. As many call themselves Christians of some event that happened in the past, but their hearts are far from him. So this is a good opportunity to go ahead and dive deep into some some doctrine, okay? This is what the Bible teaches on this subject, okay? Um, So a couple questions that have surfaced over the last hundred years. Um, Hey, is this once saved, always saved uh, kind of theology, or is this a fallen from grace Type theology. And so I just want to I just want to answer those questions now, okay? Um, so let's be clear together that if God saves you, He will not let you go. He'll keep you to the end, friends. Philippians 1:6 says, He who began a good work in you will carry you to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So he who saved you, he will grow you, sanctify you, keep you. All the way till you die or till he comes back. That's his promise to you. He's faithful to his promise. He'll never leave you or forsake you. He has you in the palm of his hands and he'll hold you fast. That's who God is. You can't fall from grace. Because grace isn't this just mystical, like cloud, ambiguous thing that just floats out there like the force or something. Um, Titus 2 speaks about the grace of God and it says, For the grace of God has appeared, right? It's saying Jesus is, is the manifestation of grace. He is grace and he trains you in righteousness and he helps you grow and know him more and he helps you wait until his return. It's all about Jesus from beginning to end. So he is the one and you can't lose him. So once saved, always saved? Well, um, where is your assurance coming from? Is it walking an aisle? Is it just praying a prayer? Let me read this passage of scripture for you, Second Peter 1.10. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. So this this teaching is called the perseverance of the saints. Or or I, I really like the perseverance of God in the saints. He perseveres in the life of the believer. So you can look to him and trust to him and lean on his strength. And he carries you all the way to completion. This isn't just some sort of teaching made up by men to promote some tribe within Christianity. This is what Jesus teaches just the chapter before, uh, verse 13 of chapter 24. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Two stories just to put some flesh on this, this doctrine, okay? One is good and one is bad. Let's start with the bad one, okay? So I'm reading this book right now. Uh, it happens World War II. This pilot, uh, he's flying in a plane, crashes into this religious establishment, and there's only the religious leader there, okay? And the pilot is bleeding all over the place. The religious leader is applying pressure onto the wounds, and um, the the religious leader sees the pilot dying, and so he quicks, he quick gets up. He uh runs and gets water and baptizes the guy. And the, the guy doesn't die. And he's like, What are you what are you doing? Right? And um, and the religious leader goes, Well, I wanted to make sure that you were going to heaven, and so I put water on you. Is that how you endure to the end? Is that what saves a man? No. Here's a good story friend of mine was on his dad's deathbed. He was waiting just alongside of him. And his dad said, son, would you, would you pray over me? Would you say, would you say the Lord's prayer so that I know, so that I know what would you do if your dad said that, right? My friend said, dad, I ain't, I ain't saying that over you. I ain't praying that. I know what you're asking. You're asking me to say this so that you'll have some assurance that you're going to go to heaven dad you know that that's not how you're assured salvation dad the fruit that god i'm sorry the faith that god gives is a fruit bearing faith and dad you've lived a whole life of bearing fruit you've followed the master you know him well and you can go home to heaven secure, because of what the Lord has done in and through your heart. That's it. That's the good stuff. Number three, the third lesson to learn from this parable. This is a lesson from the wise virgins, the wise bridesmaids. Be prepared by trusting Jesus that he is coming back. Or short, trust him. Okay, the five wise took the groom seriously. How do we know? Well, they they lived in light of his promise, they packed oil. I mean, they were ready to persevere, even if it meant waiting till midnight. So, friends, let the Holy Spirit examine your life. Have you taken Jesus seriously here? Is your belief in his return? reflected in your life, your everyday decisions, your finances, your relationships? Have you taken Jesus seriously here? Matthew 25, verse 13, watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Number four, lessons from the wise. How do you get ready? know him you get ready by knowing him so the ultimate tragedy in this story is that the five unwise came to that door and the groom said i don't know you i never knew you now is your chance to know him to know and grow in him right that's how you get ready you know him and this week I've, um, here's a quote that has just really been tra- challenging to me I've been trusting the Lord in and through it um, Nancy Lee demos's dad said this it says uh, throne before phone so I've been I've been trying to go to the Lord to go to the throne before I go to my phone and it's been Attempt, it's been a battle for me, like to be tempted to go to my phone each morning and check my Facebook or even just like small little petty things like checking the weather before I lift my heart, my head, and my words to God. How you get ready for his return is you pursue knowing Jesus. That was number four. How do I get ready? Know him. And here's the last one. Number five, lessons from the wise. Be prepared by knowing the task that is before you. This is the last and final one. You guys are doing great. Know the task that is before you. Or if we're going to use the language of this parable, keep your lamp lit. Right? So this story is unique. It goes beyond just simply like watching and waiting, looking above, like I don't know, as a Christian, I guess I'm just supposed to wait for Jesus's return and just like be good, I guess. Or D.A. Carson, let me quote him. He put it this way. It is not enough for Jesus's followers just to hang in there and wait till the end. Our instruction here from this word as bridesmaids is that you have been given an important task. You need to be ready to keep your lamp lit the whole job of the bridesmaid was to lead the processional for the groom to be a light for others that doesn't mean like oh man I need to end this broadcast I need to end this stream and I need to go out and throw caution and safety to the wind and and tell all my neighbors door to door right it's like no we're on quarantine like don't don't disobey the law right It doesn't mean that all of a sudden you have to like go crazy on social media and post everything. I would say it does mean this, though. Let's let the Puritans guide our thinking. They used to say this: "The light that shines farthest shines brightest at home. The light that shines farthest shines brightest at home." So this means that the one who has a vibrant heart for God isn't striving just after distance of influence. The heart that wants to know God strives after a depth of relationship. And when your well runs deep in this area, when it runs deep for God, as a result, many drink from its waters. It's, it's, it's called leading out of the overflow of your heart. And pursuing the Lord in your heart and letting others in to your relationship with the Lord. That's how you walk with God. So ask yourself, why has God given me the light of Jesus Christ? And how can I shine for him brightly? How has he gifted me? And what, what unique callings and giftings? And uh, How has God made me? To be a light for Jesus in this life. Another question that to ponder in this time of quarantine would be this. How can I steward my gifts and the time that God has given me here on this earth to honor him? How can I do it, Lord? What would you have for me? And God, in his great sovereign control, has given us just a little bit of margin to ask those questions. In order for this time to be a trajectory for the rest of your life. Lord, how would you use me? Lord, I want to trim my lamps and what was burned before. And I want to be prepared to burn afresh for you. I want to be ready for your return. Brothers and sisters, keep your lamps trimmed and burning great to be with you this morning. Have a great Sunday. Uh, Go deep with your family. Talk about these things. Let the Word of God dwell richly among you, and let's be ready for Jesus to come back. God bless you.